0: Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze all of your favorite pop stars and then rank them in the official Pop Pantheon. This is your host, DJ Louis the 14th, reminding you to please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it now. Don't forget to follow us on social at pop pantheon Pod. I'm a DJ L-O-U-A-E-X-I-V on Twitter and Instagram. Merch is at PopPantheonPod.com. Our Patreon channel, pop Pantheon All Access, where we do at least three bonus episodes of the show per month, is at Patreon.com slash PopPantheon. So this year, as we come to a close, Russ and I thought it would be nice to take a moment to think about some of the towering pop figures who we lost in the year 2023. This episode is going to focus on three of them in particular, and each will have its own guests that can speak particularly to this artist, their work, their legacy, why they mattered in pop music. Annie Zaleski is here to talk about Sinead O'Connor, Brian Newman is here to talk about Tony Bennett, and Melissa Vincent is here to talk about the great Tina Turner. Before we get into those discussions, I want to acknowledge a series of other important pop figures that have passed this year that we didn't have time to get into in depth but feel worth mentioning as we look back on the year in pop and who is no longer with us and i'm thinking about here harry belafonte of course lisa marie presley david crosby jeff beck brian gillis from lfo paul catamble from s club seven sheldon reynolds from earth wind and fire gangsta boo rudolph Isley from the Isley brothers jimmy buffett steve harwell from smash mouth of course and irish grinstead from 702 many of these people were gone too soon Some lived very full lives. All of them contributed to pop music and pop stardom as we know it today. So without further ado, here is my discussions about Sinead O'Connor, Tony Bennett, and Tina Turner with Annie Zaleski, Brian Newman, and Melissa Vincent. Okay, I'm here once again with the wonderful Annie Zaleski. Annie, welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So I guess I'm just going to ask something basic for people that maybe don't really know who is Sinead O'Connor and why was her career and her music meaningful and important when it was?
1: Sinead is really hard to kind of sum up in a very short way because, I mean, first off, she was a very complicated person. And just in the fact that she was very deep and Mm. she felt life and she felt things very deeply. You know, her memoir is just a really astounding and astoundingly vulnerable and honest piece of work that Mm. really kind of goes over her life. Mm. But basically, she was in the the music industry, but she basically from the very beginning steered her career her way. Mm. You know, she shaved her head right. and refused to stick to what maybe what the music industry thought that she should look like mm. as a woman in the music industry. Mm. She was on the Grammy Awards wearing her son's onesie like tied mm. around her waist right. with like jean shorts mm. and things like that and combat boots. She just looked very different than everyone else. Mm. But at the same time her music it's almost hard to put into words. You know, it was rock music, mm. but it was just based uh, so deeply from her heart, mm. you know, but it wasn't just rock music, you know, she had elements of hip-hop, mm. she really incorporated hip-hop into her music in a way that a lot of artists just did not do and mm. she stood up for a lot of hip-hop artists like MC Light, for example in ways that other people just did not, mm. you know, Public Enemy mm. Sinead was on the Grammys in 1989, she painted Public Enemies, the rap group's logo on the side of her head because that year Public Enemy was actually protesting because The ceremony, as Chuck D had said, refused to recognize rap music and hip hop as a legitimate music category. And so she was really standing in solidarity with the hip hop community that year in a way that, you know, was very, you know, if you didn't quite know the logo, you were like, okay, what's on the side of her head? But those who knew, knew. And Public Enemy respected her enormously for being such a vocal ally for them. She had a lot of principles Mm. and a lot of integrity. Mm. And she just really stood up for what she believed in. And that kind of permeated her life and career.
0: So, how exactly did she like? Like come to prominence. Like, what was her like? Just sort of very, very broadly speaking. Obviously, we're not going to be doing a full, one of our full deep dives here. But just for anyone that's not familiar or maybe only knows the sort of big hits of her career, like, how did Sinead O'Connor like come into prominence as a musician? So
1: in 1987, she released her debut album. It was called The Lion and the Cobra, Mm. and that was a really interesting time in music because, you know, I guess for lack of a better word. Alternative music was starting to kind of get a toehold in the mainstream. Mm. And so she released this record that was just very hard to kind of pin down. You know, she mentioned Bob Dylan, mm. she mentioned David Bowie, mm. Susie and the Banshees. The college radio hit that people know is called Mandinka.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it just has a really ripping guitar solo. Mm. And so it, it kind of fit in on radio at the time. But she had all sorts of other things. You know, That, like I mentioned MC Light earlier. Mm-hmm. She had a song called I Want Your Hands On Me with a remix featuring her. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of, so basically alternative rock for lack of a better word, the alternative scene. Mm-hmm. She kind of fit in there because at that point it was such a diverse, eclectic group of artists that were sort of lumped into that category. Right. You know, even though she didn't fit in, she
0: fit in there. Right. So she became kind of like, would it be fair to say, kind of like a darling of that scene? Like, was she known in like, by mainstream audiences at that time or was she kind of like an off the beaten path sort of artist in that early part of her career?
1: It's an interesting question because, you know, she was, she performed on the Grammy Awards. Right. She was on Late Night with David Letterman. You know, she was nominated for a Grammy. Mm. She had sort of mainstream exposure Mm. But, you know, it's hard to say, you know, how much at that point in her career, her very early part in her career, people really knew who she was, you know, unfortunately, you know, she became most well known in America for ripping up a photo of the Pope on Saturday Night Live. Right. And so I I feel like that was sort of what most people in America knew her for, even though before that, she released all this wonderful music that was so important and just so interesting.
0: Like, what was that music in conversation with, like, if people aren't familiar with it, like, how would you sort of like compare it to other maybe alt rock women of this time? time period? Like, what did it sound like? What was it like?
1: She was akin to sort of Kate Bush in the sense Mm. that Kate Bush also just really marched to the beat of a different drummer Mm -hmm. and just said, I'm going to put out whatever music that I want that's Mm. going to sound different than the mainstream. Mm. You know, someone like Susie Sue, who also just really put out music that was really kind of hard to pigeonhole into a genre. Right. But that's what's so interesting is that Sinead didn't really have a genre. Right. So, you know, it was a lot of like almost the kind of offbeat Irish alternative artists that, you know, that maybe didn't get a lot of air play in america outside of sort of niche places and so she kind of fit in in kind of the nexus i think of that interesting irish alternative you know like something like you know gavin friday is someone who you know kind of has associations with u2 with Mm. the virgin prunes and Mm. things like that and Mm. he put out these really wonderful dark solo records and they're very akin to like what shanae did Mm. she was kind of making her own sort of folk music honestly in a sense
0: so an iconoclast through and through from the way she behaved in public to the way she made her music to the lack of boundaries she saw between genre and you know the way that she was always open to rebelling against the norms of the music industry yeah absolutely i would say that and we talked about the pope picture ripping up which i think again you're correct is the thing that most people probably remember what do you consider the highlights of the peak of her success like what are the moments in her career that you think like go down in history as the most memorable or important facets of her pop superstardom.
1: The thing that also people know her for is Nothing Compares to You, which was written by Prince. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's such a stunning song because it's just so emotional. And when we talk about vulnerability, it's an extremely vulnerable vocal appearance Mm -hmm. or vocal delivery. Mm -hmm. but just also the music video, right. it's so striking. She's looking at the camera, You mm. know, she's crying at one point. Mm. It's a very simple video, but it's very effective and mm. it, it's a piece of art unto itself. Mm. And so I think that's also what she's really known for.
0: Yeah, not easy to take a Prince song and make the definitive version of it. That's an achievement in and of itself.
1: Exactly, it's like her and maybe Sheila E. Those were the two people who actually made Prince songs their own, like Cindy no one Lopper, else really perhaps. did. That's right, <laughs> so it's all women making Prince songs yeah. their own, exactly.
0: Yeah, interesting. Can you Describe a little bit about the Pope incident? I mean, just for anybody that maybe isn't familiar with it, like what happened in that moment exactly?
1: Basically, in 1992, she was protesting the Catholic Church. Mm. She performed a kind of a cappella version of Bob Marley's War, mm. you know, kind of related to child abuse, and she tore up a photograph of the pope Mm. that was actually taken from her mother's bedroom wall whoa oh i didn't know that detail that's interesting yeah it's really it's there's there's a lot there's a lot of layers i mean it was very deliberate the symbolism she was very conscious of what she was doing Mm -hmm. and she basically she blamed the church for a lot of kind of what she went through as a child some Mm. really painful trauma as well as sort of the trauma the church inflicted on other people as well Mm. so she chose that to make a statement and it's just so stunning you know basically what happened and what else is striking is two weeks after that performance she was playing a bob dylan tribute concert and she got booed like just absolutely Mm. horribly got booed and this Mm. is on youtube you can watch it and the person who comforted her was Chris Christopherson. Oh, wow. you know, she's on stage and she's very, uh, you know, it's just, it's a really striking and a very sad mm. scene. Mm. Now, there was a really wonderful documentary that came out on Sinead last year, mm-hmm. and they really go over this in depth and, you know, in a very tasteful and thorough way. Mm. But it's just such an amazing moment. And yeah. it's just such a striking moment because honestly, in America, it really destroyed her career, right. which is it's akin to kind of, I think, you know, to what the Dixie Chicks went through. Mm. Or the chicks, I guess now, when they protested the president. Mm. And, you know, it was very much like women who were being sort of punished for speaking their truth Mm. and being protest singers. Mm. It's a very moving thing. And, you know, and in her book, she basically said she didn't regret it, Mm. which is I love as well. You know, going back to her integrity and principles, she knew exactly what she was doing. And she was like, this is important to me, which is just so unbelievably admirable in general.
0: Yeah. You know, it's one of those moments that I feel like we don't get anymore in the sort of like airtight world of media in the modern era like I just feel like it's a moment of true sort of middle finger up not just at the Pope and Catholicism and like culture at large, but also at NBC. <laughs> at like right. you know you know it's rare for a figure to get on a platform that big these days and then to behave actually badly. It's like one of the reasons why like the VMAs are no fun anymore is because I think there is sort of like the corporatization of just the act of pop stardom, or even any acts of rebellion feel corporatized at this point. And it's one of those rare moments. It reminds me almost a little bit of Fiona Apple's speech at the uh, I forget what it was, maybe the Grammys or the v- or the VMA is where she said the world is yep. bullshit. You know, there's like these few moments in modern media history where someone's really willing to like get up and bite the hand that feeds or something like that in mm-hmm. a way that's like incredibly admirable. And as you said, had massive ramifications on her career. So like her latter career, I mean, after that moment, she was kind of over more or less in America as a force. Like what was her later career like post that sort of double hit of nothing compares to you in the Pope moment? So
1: it's interesting because, you know, one of the things that people forget is she continued making records. And she continued making wonderful records Mm -hmm. and they just did not have the sort of mainstream traction and to be fair in america part of it was that rock music where nominally she'd fit in changed right it was grunge and then new metal and like they that you know that was not Sinead o'connor and she explored different genres she explored Mm. reggae she Mm. explored a little bit more into folk music you know Mm. she really kind of pushed her music into many many different boundaries you Mm. know irish folk songs more Mm. and so she basically decided i'm going to follow my muse and do what i want Mm. to do you know because it really at the very beginning of her career it really was sort of the fact that the mainstream sort of bent to what she was doing you mm. know she wasn't trying to fit in anywhere mm. you know and so she continued kind of doing what she was doing and you know with tour i think every so often and kind of went up and down and, and had some mental health struggles that she went through right. and you know, had some children and so she just really she lived her life and yeah. you know kind of did what she wanted to do right which is really admirable i mean she was an artist in the true sense of the word yeah and that she was making art and inviting people into her world on her own terms Mm. and again that is just she had so much integrity it's just unbelievable
0: and she had a troubling sort of very last period of her life right i mean i remember that there was like a moment where people discovered she was like living in a motel in new jersey right wasn't there like a sad last couple of years there
1: you know she did and it was very up and down and i think that's what's the saddest thing is that some of it played out in public Mm. you know i think at one point that she went missing and people couldn't find her right and And she was
0: like posting crypto on Facebook and stuff like
1: that. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think the saddest thing is, is that her 17 year old son died by suicide right. in early 2022. And I right. think that was just so incredibly difficult for her. Mm. You could tell she mm. really was grieving and mourning mm. in person. Mm. And I think the saddest thing, though, is that, you know, right around the time she passed, it seemed like things were looking up. You know, she mm. was talking about making new music. Mm. She was looking to tour because mm. she had kind of retired from the public eye mm. and things looked better. Mm. And so it's just it's so tragic because you never, we, you know, we're, we we're we're kind of robbed of what might come next. right? And the fact that they had this documentary come out, there have been books on mm. her that have really basically were like, we judged her too harshly. Mm. You know, like it is now time to give her the respect and the flowers she deserves. Mm. And she didn't live long enough to see them. And I think mm. that's the saddest part about it all, you know, because we're just now seeing the gifts that she gave to the world.
0: Mm. What do you think is her legacy? I mean, do we see her impact in meaningful ways that people can note that maybe aren't even aware of her? Like, what do you think now that she's unfortunately not with us? Anymore? Like, what do you think is Sinead O'Connor's legacy as a musician, as an artist, et cetera? Any musician you
1: see that basically says, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to make my own art, mm-hmm. and I'm going to collaborate with people who I want to, whatever, that's Sinead O'Connor. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's very striking. Janelle Monet, for as an example, posted a tribute on social media mm-hmm. because Janelle Monet is another artist. That career is just unbelievable. And you just never know where they're going to go next. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's someone who's very kind of like cut from the mold. just in terms of I'm going to take it or leave it I'm doing what I want to do which Mm. is beautiful just her music in general just and and I guess what what's interesting is that she can't be duplicated you know people try to do tributes you know even uh, Alanis Morissette teamed up with Foo Fighters to try to cover a song Mm. and you know Alanis has an amazing voice and just an amazing artist and even she just couldn't quite hit it because Sinead just had such a singular voice Mm. and so you know she really paved the way for you know I mean I think now we can kind of see that she away for a lot of 90s artists honestly right, right. who really you know did their own thing especially women but mm. even now I think just the fact that people are listening to her music and talking about her and saying this is really important yeah. and giving her a second chance I and mean, I think that's her legacy is that people can get a second chance and yes. people are not their worst moments mm. and I think that that's like especially with her she really embodies that her music and there's so much of her music to explore right it's so wonderful to be able to do that
0: yeah yeah i think she sort of stands for almost like a painful level of vulnerability that created like an incredible amount of art and also like an incredible amount of bravery i mean both to like expose that vulnerability and to like do the sort of iconoclastic and sort of dangerous moves she pulled in terms of her career and all of that stuff. That's really a towering legacy that I think a lot of her peers would be afraid to sort of go there. I think that that's really something that should be admired and will be remembered about her. And I think she's a figure for people in their minds, even if they're not familiar with her music. I think that moment to that moment on SNL and Nothing Compares to You, like stand on their own as just these kind of towering monuments to both of those things, to those kind of tributes are those sort of traits about her. I think that sort of stands the test of time, even for people that don't know her music. And I guess what the note I want to leave on is, you know, she released a ton of other great music, as you mentioned, besides what, you know, people are aware of. So if you could pick a song, what's a song that people should know? Like, what's a song that people that are only casual fans and only know nothing compares to you? Like, what's a great song that you would like to turn people onto from Sinead?
1: You know, one of my favorites by her, it's sort of obscure in this. It's funny because it came out in 1994. Mm. So a little bit after everything happened, she had a song with gavin friday on the soundtrack of the movie in the name of the father Mm. called you made me the thief of your heart it's
0: beautiful Uh, it's
1: absolutely gorgeous it's haunting that's one of my favorite sinead songs and so that's that's where i would tell people to go listen
0: all right great let's go out on you made me the thief of your heart annie zaleski thank you so so much as always for being on the show thank you for having me All right, so I'm here with Brian Newman. He is a band leader, trumpet player, and singer. Brian, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you so much for having me, Lewis. I'm so honored to be here with you.
0: I'm honored to have you. I mean, we're talking about three important pop figures that we lost this year, Tina Turner, Sinead O'Connor, and the person that you're here to speak about today, who is Tony Bennett. You had the pleasure of getting to know Tony in real life and work with him. Can you talk a little bit about how that happened and what that was like?
3: Yeah, I mean, I mean, well, it happened through, you know, my very good friend, Lady Gaga. We've been friends a long time and we've been playing together a long time. And then I was playing with her at a show in, in New York at the Robin Hood Gala. Tony Bennett happened to be there, heard her singing Orange Colored Sky and came backstage after and asked her to do a record with him and then the rest was history. Mm. We, it was just great and what a tremendous, tremendous honor. I mean, that doesn't even, that doesn't even sum it up, that's not even the right thing to say. <laughs> yeah. I it's I can't even express how amazing and grateful I am for that whole experience and just getting to know him and his team and his band and his family and, you know, it all felt like family very quickly. It, it's been a very good, uh, the last 10 years of his career, we, we're, we're so i um, so thrilled to be involved and, and from a young musician who emulated him. Him from a very young age, and to be able to get to meet him and work with him and mm. be on Grammy-winning albums and and touring, and it just was a dream come true uh, for me. You know, for a blue-collar kid from Cleveland, it was it was a dream was a dream come true. It's not it never was lost on me. Wow. You know,
0: yeah. What was he like as a person? I mean, you got to interact with him interpersonally. Like, did he exceed your expectations? Like, what was his vibe like? Like, how do you remember him now that he's gone
3: in a personal way? Well, I, I learned so much from him. You know, like I said, even before I had I got to meet him and work with him, but but, you know he was always kind. He was always humble, and and you know I think that those two things really added to his longevity. You know what I mean? Like you know to be able to be at the top of his game for over seventy years mm. is I I, think, I don't know any other band or any other musician that has made that many records and stayed on top for that long and mm. moved with the times so well. You know mm. what I mean? He was just an amazing person, and he was always would take time to talk to you, and and if you had questions, and you know I, I'll I'll never forget we were in like Brussels playing a show, and and me and some of the band were sitting. A- at the bar having a glass of champagne and we hear this uh, voice behind us is, and it's like hey can i can i come and uh can i have a drink with you guys and we when t- we turn around and it's tony bennett wow. and we were just like uh, uh of course like <laughs> are you kidding you buy um you know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, exactly i think i bought those rounds uh-huh. but yeah that, that's that was that was anything for tony man yes. it was just a great person man you know and i think yes. that's that's uh, i i always known in my career that you know you have to be kind you have to be humble you have to you know treat everyone with respect and to see a man like that, do the same thing, you know, is, it meant a lot to, to me and all of mm. us that were in the band. And so it was, it was an amazing experience. I really can't say enough about about him and, yeah. and every everything that we got to do together. Amazing.
0: All right, so I know a lot of our audience is on the younger side as it pertains to Tony Bennett and probably is mostly honestly aware of him through his work with Gaga that you were involved with. That's probably their main idea of Tony Bennett. Can you just tell us very briefly, I mean, obviously this man had a long career. We could talk about it for hours, but like who was Tony Bennett? like how did he sort of emerge initially like what was his early origin story as a performer and singer etc
3: he was a singer at a young age and he worked so hard Mm. man to stay in the game that long there Mm. can be ups and downs and and stuff like that but for him i felt like he he even says in some of his interviews how much frank sinatra helped him right there was a quote uh, i'm gonna misquote this but it's basically the gist of it was ever since frank sinatra said that i was his favorite singer i've been sold out ever since Mm. and and that just goes to test to true that like everybody needs a little bit of help in, in, right. in their career you right. know what i mean it's like no matter who you are how good you are how wonderful you are somebody has to help you along the line to get right. to that next level and humble beginnings kid from queens italian immigrant you know that's that had to be tough you know for his yes. family right. and, and when they first moved here and, right and, and raising a family in new york city right. um, as an immigrant at that time it must have been tough and his level of humility is just insane it's, right. it's like he he builds a school for kids and he doesn't call it the tony bennett school of the arts right. he calls it the frank sinatra school of the arts like that's a humble you know i, I I can't say enough about his level of humility. You right. Know?
0: I mean, just to help people kind of understand who like maybe don't know about his career. like yes. w- What did he do? Like, what kind of singer was he? What tradition did he stand in as a performer? Like, what was Tony Bennett's like thing? I mean, at the peak of his career, yeah. you know, uh, again, a lot of people who are listening to the show probably only know him as an older figure who collaborated with Gaga in this way. But like, what was Tony Bennett's career? Like, what was he like at the peak of his singing career, essentially? From the
3: beginning to the end of Tony Bennett's career, he was a singer of the Great American Songbook. Right. That was his... His wheelhouse that was everything that he did
2: my love waits there
3: in san francisco and he was a champion of the great american songbook the music of cole porter george right, gershwin right. Uh, rogers and hart like mm. these songs that were sung on broadway that were later turned into pop songs they were pop songs because that's what people were listening to girls in white dresses with blue satin sashes snowflakes that stay on my
2: nose and eyelashes silver white winters that melt into spring
3: these are a few of my favorite things you know he was like one of the original pop singers you know right. in my in my right, eyes you right. know it's like you're you're singing the popular music of the day and making it your own changing the orchestral arrangement changing the the keys the style that the song was in making mm. it more of a jazz thing you know like but definitely a champion of the great american songbook and i think that that was what he did for his whole life right
0: were there certain moments that felt important in his career that people should understand like were there certain like highlights or big moments where tony bennett was sort of at his most iconic in your mind i think I think he
3: was always in that icon field. He made records with some of the best orchestras in the business and right. big bands like Count Basie, Quincy mm-hmm. Jones, like mm-hmm. all all these really great jazz musicians and jazz bands that he was involved in. Uh, Duke Ellington, mm-hmm. you know, was a good friend of his. Mm-hmm. And he was just one of the greatest, man. He just yeah. is the greatest. I right. think he's the greatest to ever do it. Wow. You know? Really is.
0: What about him makes him that to you? Like in terms of his skill, in terms of his voice, in terms of how he interprets music, what's special about him? What's unique about his artistry in your mind? I mean,
3: I think what's unique about Mr. Bennett was his timbre and his voice mm. and his, his level of commitment to mm. the songbook. And I feel like, you know, when he sings those songs, he feels every word. He knows what those songs are about. Mm. All those old Broadway songs are all love songs, but some are about love lost, love mm. gained. Some of them are a little bit on the funny side. Some mm. of them, but they're all part of this lexicon of American music that he understood better than anyone.
2: There is nothing for me
3: but to love you. Just the way you look tonight being able to understand the songs and to be able to sing it with that understanding. People feel that when they hear it. And I think that's what Tony was always uh, just tremendous at, just amazing at at doing that, connecting the audience with the music, Mm, you
0: know? A warmth, a a humanity, essentially, like...
3: Yeah, totally, absolutely. And I I think, like, and and even for me, you know, that Great American Songbook is so important. And even for Gaga, you know, we, we talk about it a lot, about how important that music was to everything that we listen to now. Can you
0: explain how that works? Exactly why is it so important to everybody?
3: we listen to now. Uh, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, the, the music started, you know, with blues and, and African rhythms in, from Africa down in New Orleans and Storyville back in like the early 1900s. You know, that mixed with, you know, the blues that was going on there with the Western harmony from Europe. It created this melting pot of Americana that kind of propelled the music into what we listen to today. Like everything we listen to today is based off the blues, based off rock and roll, based off of early, early jazz and Western harmony and African syncopated rhythms. So mm. it's like these things mel- melded together back in early 1900s and continue to shift and and move forward. But there's only a certain amount of notes. There's only a certain amount of chords and the way that they they're put together. So you can, you can hear songs today, like a Taylor Swift, even chords are the same chords that they used in, 1920. (laughs) You know, like it's a little bit of a different way to put them together with a Mm. little different drum groove and stuff like that. And obviously Jazz's influence on hip-hop is incredible, and the American Songbook influence on all kinds of music is so apparent.
0: What do you think was kind of like the foundation of Gaga and Tony's relationship to each other? Like, what did they see in each other? I mean, these are two artists that, on their face, obviously we know now that Gaga is an amazing sort of musical historian in her own right who, you know, has great respect and reverence for this type of music, but I think initially when they got together in some ways, they seemed quite different. I mean, you're dealing with people who are, you know, many, many generations apart. You know, Gaga, you know, early in her career was sort of pegged as like a dance pop artist, an electronic music artist. Here you have somebody that's working with a big band, sort of jazz-oriented singer, American Songbook singer. What do you think, like, brought them together? Like, why do you think that they sort of recognized something in each other that made their collaboration so powerful?
3: Well, I think, you know, and Gaga really understands the American Songbook. And, you know, when she she was singing that at, at a young age, and, you know, even in New York, uh, you know, she, was, she would come and sit in, with us and sing Lush Life and sing right. Orange Colored Sky at our gigs at the Oak Room at the Plaza Hotel and you know but I think their connection was was based on the music. Tony heard her sing that Orange Colored Sky and he, he came back. He said you're a jazz singer. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're a jazz singer. Like that's what they connected on. And mm-hmm. both being the type of people they are, I hate to keep saying, but kind, humble. You right. know what I mean? Right. Want to grow? Want to want to learn? Want right. to want to always push the envelope? I think that they really shared th- that together, and and it was awesome to watch and and be able to write some of the ar- the arrangements for and. and work with my band and mm. and be able to get that point across with them it doesn't matter how old you are doesn't matter how young you are doesn't right. matter what you're into but okay. this american music and this great american mm. songbook is is important you know it's, yeah. it's super important being able to, to hear them work together all those years was, so, yeah. was really really something special
0: totally oh i up to climb
2: And I love to go out fishing in a river or a creek. But I don't enjoy
3: it half as much as dancing cheek to cheek.
0: So you grew up idolizing him. I wonder if, you know, you talked about this personal story of at the bar, et cetera. Is there a moment in your sort of working collaboration or just even if it's a fleeting moment that just is memorable to you now that he's gone, something that he pointed out to you, something you learned from him like specifically or just a moment where you connected as artists in the process of working together, I wonder.
3: I don't think it was anything that he ever really said, you know what I mean? But I just think it was just being in his presence and especially on stage, like I remember those moments more than anything now. They would be singing, and then I would take a, a rip, ripper of, right. of a solo, and, right. and and he would he would look at me and give me the thumbs up, or, right. or you know what I mean, like yeah. like that encouragement, and just like oh man, you're doing it, you're, yes. This is this is it, you yeah. know what I mean, like yeah. you're you're I, I like it, he digs it. Respect, it's that, mutual uh, respect, exact exa- and yeah. admi- uh, not admiration, but yeah, mutual respect. And there's a certain word that I'm looking for, but I can't I can't find <laughs> it. It's uh, it's like uh, when you do something and and someone else acknowledges you, and, yes. and you're like and he acknowledges you in a good way, and it was yeah. just like oh. I I feel vindicated, not vindicated, seen. vindicated. I don't, I, yeah. Yeah, I feel seen. Yes, yeah. you can say that. I feel seen. I feel seen by this. This, is, this makes me feel better about all the hours and mm. thousands of hours I worked practicing my craft to yeah. to be here on a stage with, with yes. legends of this caliber and, yes. and uh, to get the thumbs up from Tony yeah. Bennett really vindicated and felt amazing, always felt amazing yeah. to be around him.
0: That must be massive. I mean, to be able to collaborate with your idol in that way and to have that. <laughs> yeah, almost, you know, absolutely that I can't man. imagine how that must have felt. That's just incredible. So now that he's gone I mean, what will Tony Bennett be remembered for in the sort of pop star canon? Like, what do you think Tony Bennett's legacy
3: is in pop music? The latest and greatest to ever do it. And he will be remembered forever for his contributions to music and, yeah. and to the world. He, he just was an incredible person and human being, humanitarian, civil rights leader. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He, he did so much during his career in music and for human beings in general. Mm. So it's, I, ho- I hope he's remembered for a long time, not just after I'm gone. And, right. and my daughter knows about him, mm. so she's only eight. So I hope that she takes that on too, you know? Yes.
0: All right. Well, in that <laughs> spirit, is there an underrated or underappreciated moment like maybe that you particularly love from Tony's career, a song that we could send the podcast out on? Is there a particular song that just sort of speaks to you that maybe people are less familiar with?
3: Yeah. I mean, there, there was a record that he did somewhere uh, uh, somewhere, uh, he sings a song on there called I'm a Clear Day. Mm-hmm. That record is is so good. Uh, S- somewhere. is It's a really beautiful record, one of my favorite. All right, so let's go out on, on Tony Bennett singing On a Clear Day. Brian Newman,
0: thank you so, so much for being on the show.
3: Oh, thank you so much, Lewis. It's wonderful to have, wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, yeah, my pleasure.
0: And on a
3: clear day,
2: on that clear
3: Can see forever and ever.
0: How good is this episode? It's good, right? Well, great news, because if you like what you're hearing here, you're going to love what we're doing over on our Patreon channel, Pop Pantheon All Access, where, for five bucks a month, you'll get bonus episodes of our show weekly. You heard that right. Every single week, we're dropping more of the same searing, in-depth combos you love about all your most anticipated new albums by stars like Ariana Grande, Dua Lipa, and Tate McRae, just to name a few, parsing apart all the newest pop singles in our famous new music speed rounds. And of course, course, diving deep on your favorite classic albums like Madonna's Hard Candy, Christina Aguilera's Stripped, and so much more, all with your favorite Pop Pantheon guests. All this, plus you'll get access to our Discord channel, input on future episodes of the show, and so much more. So sign up at the icon tier now at patreon.com slash poppantheon, or simply by clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. You won't regret it. All right, so I'm here with music journalist and researcher based in Toronto, Melissa Vincent. Melissa, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: It's an honor to have you. We're here today to talk about a pretty massive figure in pop music history that we lost this year, probably the most important one that we'll be discussing today, at least in terms of what this podcast is doing in terms of taxonomizing the history of pop stars. I don't know if there's many pop stars that you can say were more influential or important in the history of pop music than Tina Turner. So for my first question, I just want to ask you for anybody that maybe doesn't know or only knows her broadly as an important figure, but maybe doesn't know the details, who was Tina Turner? Turner, and, like, how did she initially rise to prominence in music?
2: It's an enormous question. And I think what's so fascinating about Tina's career is that depending on what generation you're from, you likely have a different introductory point. But, um, you know, Tina Turner was born Anna Mae Bullock on November 26th, 1939, in Brownsville, Tennessee. And I think early on, just had this incredible ear for music, knew I mean, what she liked, why she liked it, what made a particular song stand out, what made certain sounds move audiences, move her, move people in different ways. And, you know, she was a fan of Ike from a distance, but mm. there was also this moment where upon meeting him, she was like, well, you need to listen to me saying." And mm. that was this meeting point between, you know, them developing initially a musical partnership, which then turned into a different kind of relationship. And when I was thinking about what this conversation would be, I was thinking about how to just describe the dynamic between them, especially given the way that over the course of Tina's career, she has, in as many different mediums and approaches as possible, reconfigured what that was to her at different stages of her life. And Ike was respected, but it was Tina who took the project to another level, Um. who would perform and he would sing and people would be transported. She was transfixing. And that led to them opening for the Rolling Stones in the mid-60s, and then Proud Mary really was, in a lot of ways, the breakout single.
0: one question that I definitely want to ask you are kind of like what are the most important moments in Tina's career like if we were really just taking this on a very macro level obviously she had many many important moments in her career but it feels like the partnership with Ike and then the sort of breakthrough with Proud Mary feels like plot point number one for most people if you were going to sort of lay out her most iconic moments in pop history so what was so major about the Proud Mary moment like why is that song so important why has it stood the test of time you know in the way that it has as you think
2: after she passed i remember listening to it and was not surprised when it brought me to tears and i think i think about how there's this meticulous restraint and measured decision at where explosions occur over the course of mm. the song and mm. her performance on it it's kind of craftswomanship is miraculous And also there is this element of her singing through her tribulations, her singing through pain and reclaiming power in different ways, in different parts of the song. It feels like a portrait. And it feels like in different versions of her live performance over the years, seeing how that song has been a bit of a barometer for her how she's kept some things the same but she's changed it feels like it's a really representative emotional portrait she like Mm. her own gravitational sphere and it's one that is changing based on who she is over the course of her life but proud mary even though that song is hers it's her career In the 80s, her career that was hard fought, even the sort of road to establishing herself as a solo artist in her mid 40s, and like really thinking deeply about what that would look like, who she wanted to work with, who felt trustworthy, who felt like they could meet her where she was, because she has a really eclectic musical palette. And you hear that throughout her projects over the years.
0: So we have Proud Mary in broad strokes, like between proud Mary and private dancer like are there important moments we should understand about tina and maybe in talking about that you can talk about like what she was like who she was in pop culture what were her strengths as a performer what were her innovations as an artist what was her voice like how did she dance i mean these are all things that have had a massive long tail that are you know the genesis for a lot of the ways that many female artists present and perform in pop and rock history obviously most notably perhaps to many people listening to this podcast I think Beyonce would probably note her as maybe her most important influence or among her top three most important influences so can you just lay out like what she was like as a performer as an artist like why she was such a sort of singular presence in that way
2: Mm -hmm. I mean you know famously she taught Mick Jagger how to dance and you know I think the way that she performed with like her whole Being Like there is something, Mm. concepts of enfleshment come to mind, concepts of like what it means to really like use every available part Mm. of your eyes, your mouth, your shoulders, your feet are then also figuring out what is uniquely possible on a stage in front of an audience. How can you speak back against somebody who is acting in harmful ways towards you in closed doors. And part of what is important about talking about Tina is talking about her holistically because she talked about herself in that way and I think was always really intentional about bringing every version of who she had been throughout her life into her present success. When she was Mm. opting some of the highest honors in music, she was also speaking to, advocating for that person who couldn't have imagined that at a different stage. And, mm. you know, my background is in heavy music. I am fascinated and feel, in a lot of ways, honored to witness an artist while they are in the middle of a scream. And I think the way that Tina uses her voice, the way she mm. dives into parts of it that are guttural and wrenching, and there is a sensuality to that, but there is mm. a sensuality to that, which really thinks about the many different ways that Intimacy can be conveyed to an audience or to a room. Baby, I've, been All this good time, baby, I've been yearning. Oh, and sometimes that means like excavating the parts of an emotion, lyrics in a song, a sentiment that may not match the melody but it matches the feeling and Mm. always holding those dichotomies at once so when we hear her and she has like just a beautiful powerful voice and then she Mm. gets to this (laughs) like replicating Mm -hmm. but she like but but she gets to that point where there's something like grating there's something immaterial but necessary for her to really represent what she's trying to say with Mm, accuracy a rawness exactly
0: so i guess one of the things i'm curious about is tina as a black female rock star i mean these are you know, not something that we've seen a lot before or seen after. I mean, obviously black women were integral in the creation of rock and roll music, as in many instances, you know, often get left by the wayside as something becomes mainstream or becomes more popular and gets, you know, plastered with white faces. I'm curious what it means to have had Tina Turner go down as a rock legend or even a rock or pop legend as a black woman, especially in the 1960s, in the sort of face of the civil rights movement. Like, what is Tina's legacy as a black woman figure? Figure in rock. Can you speak to a little bit about the importance of that element of, of her legacy?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, like Tina, really clarifies the lineage that is helpful to structure our understanding of how we arrive at contemporary rock which is fundamentally rooted in a blues epistemology which understands what it means to think about different sonic and creative and artistic modalities to speak directly to an experience, to a lived collective experience that locates triumph through pain but also does not look away at pain but sees it mm. as of a full-bodied creative representation. And, you know, Tina is doing that by living her truth, by living her life out loud, but then also understands that there was something that she could do with rock, rock that was filled and saturated with soul, that was saturated mm. with her, where that genre functioned as a tool, as a vehicle, as a communicative one. Mm. And then also in a lot of ways, like she is in a rock sphere, working with Dire Straits, working with Mm. Phil while he was working with other rock greats. And music Mm. is porous, communities are porous. And it's Mm. really difficult to imagine that some of those connections, the ways that her influence was moving into other artists at the time, was one that really had a lot of material elements. Like she's Mm. sharing Mm. the same stages, she's in the same room, she's working with similar producers, and she is creating something that is also reimagining the canon of rock music.
0: Mm, And also perhaps reclaiming it. I mean, in a sense of sort of like that history of where rock music originates can often feel erased in the sort of broader narratives of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and, you know, we lose track of Big Mama Thornton and all of the people that were, you know, critical to creating the genre, were the genesis of the genre, and in some ways Tina represents kind of a manifestation or a reclamation in the most broad public sphere imaginable of Black women's role as the first rock stars. I mean, so it's an interesting sort of way in which she functions as like a reclamation, I think, is the best word I can think of, of that lineage and that history for the masses in a sense.
2: Completely. And I think showing that, you know, rock music is capable of so much more than entertainment. Tina showed us that rock music can liberate you and you can change rock music in a way that is able to heal Parts of
0: self. So can you talk a little bit about Tina's comeback in the 1980s? I mean, pop music, pop stardom is one of the most ageist and fickle professions out there. We are very quick to toss away the old quote unquote and bring in the new generation. You can feel aged out of being a pop star when you're 29 or 30 years old. It's very rare for a pop star to not only have success in their 40s, but to maybe have their greatest success in their 40s. I mean, I can think of a mere handful and it's really only the greats that have been able to really do that. You know, Beyonce, I guess is probably in that category at this point Madonna you know there's certain artists Janet maybe there's certain artists that have been able to unlock that level of success in that period of their life but Tina I think in some ways more than any in the sense that she almost peaked or like reached Mm. a new level of saturation in that period can you talk about how she did that and perhaps why you think she was uniquely suited as an artist to have that sort of success at that period of her life?
2: Between us, but also as we're speaking, I think in the process of sort of diving into some of the research on her, I have thought about like really like a new meaning for the word resilience and a meaning for it that like does not linger on the parts of it that are palatable and easy to hear, Mm. but resilience Mm. that is really negotiated and fought for at every single stage and i think in the road to putting out private dancer starting that stretch of her career where she became one of the biggest artists on the planet going Mm. in her mid-40s moving into her 50s was one that even While she had previously experienced some really closed off moments, she speaks about it as some moments where she felt like she did not exist. I think about what led to her career in the mid 80s as still she is like building something internal. She's still thinking, I'm mm. sure, still dreaming about the music that she wants to make, still picking up influences and planning. And the artist that you see when she becomes one of the highest grossing female performers in the mid eighties is an artist who knew what it meant to fight for her position on stage. Mm. They understood how much she had to sustain to get there. But I also can imagine understood what it meant to share herself with the world in a way that wasn't varnished. Getting really um, emotional, just thinking about how she must have felt and thinking about like how rich that success must have felt.
0: Hard one.
2: Hard one, but also multi-layered and also non-linear. I think that you know part of what people gravitate towards when we think about the fact that there isn't a version of Beyoncé that exists without a Tina Turner first. And I think part of the reason why people connect to Beyoncé's music is her ability to speak loudly to the parts of ourselves that we think can have some glamour attached to it but sometimes feels nearly impossible to acknowledge let alone say out loud mm. and it'd be mm. like creative packaging of how many different ways can we articulate a feeling a moment an experience tina has done that at different stages of her life and i think given us a front row seat to what kind of revelation she has sort of arrived at when she thinks about her life in her mm. 50s versus later on when the documentary came out a few years ago and she's reflecting on it again as she's in her mm. 70s or early 80s.
0: I guess thinking about Beyonce and you know just using that as a jumping off point and this is a big question so I'm not expecting you to like answer every facet of it because I don't think that would be possible certainly not in the time we have right now but definitely probably not in the course of hours but what is Tina Turner's legacy in pop? I mean when we look at the generations that have come after her, when we look at specific artists that we know are influenced by her or even artists that maybe are less obvious to us as having been impacted by her innovations and her voice and her talent and her just force of being, career moves, you know, where do you think are the most obvious ways that we see Tina Turner's legacy? And maybe even if you have some less obvious ones that might surprise people in pop stardom and music in her wake.
2: I think something that has always been really fascinating is... Like her desire to really weave her personal story, feature it to her music, and have it come out in ways that move between different mediums. I mean, she is known as a fantastic musician. But I also think there is a version where we think of Tina as the curator, Tina as the director, Tina as the producer of her artistry as a multimodal, multimedia, really dynamic project, and one that has been shaped into different things over the course of her life. So while I feel like the obvious in your face question is that the way that Tina moved on a stage, the way that she transformed what it means to watch somebody make magic in front of an audience. Feels mm. like, you know, that is front and center in her lasting legacy. For sure. And I think that that has transgressed across multiple different genres. I think that, you know, given the way that she moved and worked with the rock greats of the late 70s, like she is in every rock artist that came afterwards. But then when we look at really prominent female pop icons, I think artists see an element in Tina and figure out how can that be instructive to their own craft? And, you know, I think about her performance with Beyonce at the Grammys in the mid 2000s, and I think what's so incredible about it is the fact that in a lot of ways they're singing to each other. And I think Mm. it's more than a passing of the baton. It's more than a passing of the torch. But I think it is Tina creating on stage what she did when she would walk out of an altercation with ike and go and sing her heart out and that magic that private expansive place that was created she is like enabling and allowing beyonce to bask in it and i think in that there is this lesson to her to beyonce that is actually where the moment of musical transmission happens. And then changing the role of the audience into one that's a passive listener, but into one that is participating that is bearing witness Mm. to a singular and individual moment and i think you know that is in what has turned the renaissance tour into this like spiritual like Mm. collective experience is that magic passed down Mm. you know to beyonce spread to audiences around the world and in a lot of ways like being a part of her legacy, even after she's passed on.
0: And I mean, literally directly on the Renaissance tour when Beyonce literally sang River Deep, Mountain High as a tribute to her, you know, it was that lineage is very direct and clear and you know I would just say that you know just on a brass tax level as I mentioned at the top of the podcast I think in ways large and small she is the blueprint for pop stardom in so many ways and we think about so many of the turns I mean I think I love you highlighting the way that she was able to warp her personal pain and struggle like into her art into universality through her music I mean these are tenants of the pop star the pop career the pop figure the way that pop music can transcend and affect so many people's lives is through that sort of interplay. And I think she's, critical in that way i echo your comments on her performance style i mean it's just the way that she was on stage that embodied way that she danced her abandon the grit in her voice the excavation of her pain on stage all of those kind of things the joy that she the joy i mean literally this <laughs> the the effervescent joy that she brought to performing the iconography i mean as much as we think about tina turner's hits we think about that that image of her in especially in the 80s with the hair and the, the outfits and, <laughs> and, and again i mean just on a personal level the idea of like that finding yourself or peaking or whatever like you know i think beyond just pop stardom I, mean, I think we all struggle with feeling like is it too late for us is it have we missed the boat is it possible to continue to grow change expand reach our best selves as life goes on and i think tina is one of the greatest emblems we have in pop culture of like the fallacy of sort of like peaking in your youth. You know, I mean, she she had many peaks as a young woman, but she also had her greatest moments at, you know, a time when I think a lot of popular culture likes to specifically say to women, like, we're not interested in you anymore. And she defied that on every level and showed that that was a possibility. And I think that, you know, of the many powerful legacies she leaves behind, I think that's a really powerful one that extends beyond just being a pop star. That's something I think we can all, sort of sink our teeth into and be inspired by. I mean, she was someone that never stopped growing, expanding, seeking freedom for herself and expressing that and allowing venues for other people to sort of benefit from that. I think that's a really powerful legacy too. I guess my last question for you would be for the casual listener, the casual Tina Turner listener, is there a specific song that's maybe a bit of a deep cut or something that just fit, is a personal meaning to you that you'd love some people to uncover of Tina's that maybe they don't know.
2: Yeah, I mean I think that you described it really well and I think that in this idea of sometimes how limited our framework for peaking can be there's also this idea that like sometimes you can peak in ways that might feel sublime to an outside audience and to you still feels imperfect and at every mm. st- have an opportunity to go back and rewrite your story with new Mm. language a new vernacular that feels like it fits the moment and Mm. i think to see how she's approached that over the course of her career feels like and I, i hope when she passed on it really felt like she had been able to say like there was nothing left unsaid And there was Mm. something satisfying about that feeling, because I think Mm. sometimes we can look at artistic success as purely the output or the acclaim or the sort of roses Mm. that it's achieved versus an artist being able to speak accurately and clearly to exactly where they were. Mm. But in terms of a song, I remember coming across trying to find my mind, which I think is just an absolutely explosive and like sun scorched, sort of heavy psych rock anthem that reading the lyrics, thinking about where she was, When she wrote that song, thinking about what she's speaking to, what she's speaking to with the accompaniment of Ike, he is watching her say Mm. to him what he is doing to her. And then he presses record and she keeps Mm. going over the course of the song. I mean, her voice on it, we talk a lot about Tina having this incredible rock vocality. We talk about the guttural parts, the raw parts, this grit to her voice, the sense sensuality, as power. And on that song, there are some moments where she sounds like any artist coming out of the new wave of British heavy metal. Mm. There's something so unselfconscious about mm. how she approaches every lyric. And also the way the song kind of like starts with a bit of a simmer. And it's like she keeps turning up and down the heat on a pot. It reaches this boiling point and then she brings it back. It feels like such an accomplishment, but it also feels like such a bellow out into what, at the time, might have felt like the ether. It might have felt like mm. very few could understand what she was actually saying with that song, where she was emotionally a torment. Like you know, the song comes from a tormented place and doesn't sound like it. And the same way, where a lot of her biggest hits share these dualities, where she is talking about difficult, painful experiences, and doing it in a way where you need to be an attentive listener to put those pieces together. And I think. This song coming out before a lot of her story was known to the rest of the world, but still teasing, still taking moments and finding opportunities where she could to speak and speak loudly and without restraint feels like such an accomplishment. Feels like an artist really liberating themselves through a song that is Miraculous to encounter and engage with.
0: Okay, so let's go out on Trying to Find My Mind by the great Tina Turner. Melissa Vincent, thank you so much for being on the show.
2: My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.